Kia ora. Welcome to this podcast series, Making Money a Force for Good. I'm Barry Coates. I'm founder of Mindful Money. In this series, we're talking to the pioneers who are using investment to make a better future. I hope you enjoy this seminar. Kia ora. En rauranga tirama, no mai haere mai whakato mai ki tēnei hui mariko. Ko Barry Coates aho, ko te kairahi, o te putea fai whakaoro. Nā reira, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tato katoa. Good evening, everyone. I'm Barry Coates. I'm founder and CEO of Mindful Money. A very warm welcome to you all. Uh, this is the fifth in our second series of online seminars. Uh, I invite you to watch the four previous seminars on different aspects of climate change with Rod Oram and James Shaw and Laura Clark and others covering COP26, net zero and investor strategies to reduce carbon emissions. Uh, they were really, really great seminars. So go and have a look at them on our website. This seminar starts our next theme uh, in the seminar series on investing investment funds that contribute to social benefit. This is nirvana for many investors, get a good return and create positive benefits. Sounds too good to be true. Thankfully, it isn't, uh, as we'll hear tonight. Uh, and I'm thrilled to have a fabulous panel. And let's kick off straight away by welcoming our first panel member, Shamabil Jakob. Um, most of you know Shamabil from his very regular uh, media appearances. He's one of these rare economists who puts people into the equations and he makes economics intelligible. He's an author, media commentator and thought leading public speaker. He's had over a decade of experience as an economist in leading international banks and consultancies and is on the boards of charities and commercial firms. So a very warm welcome to you, Shamavil. Thanks, Barry. Look, it's wonderful to be here because when we're talking about issues like housing, it's such a big and complex issue. It's easy for us to get caught up in, I think, the detail. But today we're going to talk specifically about what the issues are and what money can do, because we know that some of the big fixes that are there are going to take a very long time to come through. I think the context is um, quite critical. Um, what we're looking at in terms of the crisis in our housing market is pretty intense. Um, the last recorded average house price in New Zealand is now $1 million. And that's an extraordinary sum of money given the incomes that are available for most New Zealanders. And it means that fewer and fewer New Zealanders can afford to own their own homes. But it's not just owning your own home, it's also the ability to rent, your ability to live a comfortable life, to have stability, to have kids going to your uh, local school. All those things are also being put at risk. And so it is having this cascading wider social impact, which is really quite frightening. And this crisis has really been building since the 1990s, but really has escalated from the early 2000s. And in many parts of New Zealand now, house prices are so expensive that we're seeing serious issues. And this, this kind of this problem has spread a lot. You know, if you wind back even 10 years, even then we were talking about very high house prices. But it was very specifically an issue about places like Auckland, Wellington, Nelson, Tasman, Queenstown. But fast forward to today, you can see on the right hand side that infection has spread to many more parts of New Zealand. And in fact, over the course of the last one or two years, the fastest growth in house prices has been in the provinces. 
we, we've seen this incredible population growth after many years of very slow or no growth. Um, some years ago, I actually uh, talked about uh, zombie towns that provinces were not going to grow, and uh, they even had a zombie match in my honor in Wanganui. Uh, but what happened it was actually the opposite. I was wrong about all of that because our cities have become so expensive that we're exporting our people to the provinces. But those places are simply not set up to be able to actually keep up with the new supply of housing. I thought I'd show you a very uh, quick example through what's been happening in Pororua. Um, because Wellington and that region has been growing so much, Pororua has soaked up a lot of that growth. And Pororua started off as a place that's relatively poor, had a lot of social housing, had a lot of issues, um, particularly with a lot of manufacturing and jobs leaving the region in the reforms of the 1980s. And what we're looking at right now is the median house price in Porua is close to $800,000. And you know, when I first started working in the early 2000s, Porua was seen as a place where anybody could buy a house if you wanted to, but you didn't want to, because it was seen as some, some a place that was fairly rough and really not a place that you needed to go to. And compared to those uh, days you know, in the early 2000s when rents were relatively affordable, they've now become extremely unaffordable. They've gone from about a third of local incomes to now being closer to 45, 50%. So it's getting pretty painful. And the reason why that's happened is after many years of relatively weak demand because people were leaving the region, it's flipped. Since about 2014, we've seen more people wanting to move into places like Porua. And those small communities just haven't been able to keep up with the supply. And what you can see on the right-hand side is those blue bars is the demand for new housing. The black line is supply. Eventually, supply is catching up, so we are building more homes, but there were five years when we didn't build enough. And what that meant was it created this incredible and intense pressure in the rental market. We simply did not uh, have enough rental, rental housing coming into the market. And that meant that the rental market got extremely constrained. And what's extraordinary is if you look at the left-hand chart, in the last kind of 10 years, we've had almost no growth in the number of rentals that are available in Porua but the number of people who live in Porua has gone up by nearly 20%. And so it's created this massive wedge, massive pressure. And what we've also seen right at the bottom is we had many decades of relative neglect when it came to social housing. The number of social housing had been falling pretty much since a peak in the 1990s. It is picking up now. We have the biggest uh, house building program for social housing that we have seen ever, really, really except for when we first started. But even then, the need is so great now, and we are catching up so many decades of failure that the number of people who are on the wait list for social housing has climbed to massive levels. In Poro alone, it's gone up by about 300 households. Nationally, it's over 25,000. These are 25,000 households who qualify for social housing, but we don't have enough places to put them in. So that is really where social housing is going to come in, in terms of community housing, because we've got to really look after these people. And when you kind of look at what's happening in the housing continuum, I think quite often we think, oh, you know, we'll just build more houses and everything will be fine. But a house that's built for somebody to live in, to own and live in, is not the same as a house that's suitable for somebody who's got very, very low incomes, has very high and complex needs. And in places like Pora, only about 20% of non-homeowners are independent. They rely on some sort of subsidy from, from, the, from the public. And in Poro alone, each year, we spend something like $80 million in housing subsidies. 
And despite these massive subsidies, we're not seeing an increase in supply. So we, it is costing us a great deal of money, but it is not giving us better outcomes. So we know that the money is being spent, that money is being used, but money is not getting the returns and the outcomes that we want. So when we talk about supply, when we talk about solutions, I think we need to spread the conversation to go, not only do we need to build more houses, we also need to build houses for those who need it. We need to use the push and the pull of the need and the ability of money to go into the places where it needs to go. Right now, we're building at the best rate that we have ever done. You know, what we've seen in terms of the demand for housing, in terms of the reforms in a lot of the areas like Auckland Unitary Plan, they are bearing fruit. But most of the housing is large. Most of the housing is in for rich people, for people who can afford it. Um, what we're not seeing is the growth in money getting into building enough homes. So, so much more of the money is going towards chasing secondhand homes from each other. But we're not seeing private capital outside of bank lending actually getting into the market enough. So when we talk about the solutions, I think we need to think very carefully about what are we actually trying to achieve? And I'd argue that, yes, we need to build more homes, but right now the need is so intense, we must first build homes for people who need it the most. And that means being very targeted and focused on those who are most at need. The crisis has been many decades in the making. So we know exactly why we got here because of willful neglect on multiple policy fronts. We know fundamentally it's not about enough supply of homes, particularly of rentals and particularly of affordable rentals and affordable homes. There are lots of regulatory and technical solutions that we can do. And we are making lots of progress. I think we've made more progress in the last 10 years than we have done in the last 40. But there is so much neglect that's accumulated that it will take us many years to fix it. The big fixes will take too long. For those people who are currently stuck, I know we can act now. Yes, there is a big program of public building, but there is a wait list of 25,000 households. The per plan for social housing is still not enough. We really need community housing sector to step up. And the only way they'll be able to do it is if we're able to throw sufficient cap capital at them so they can afford to build, operate, and own these places. And I think that's where people like Hope and what we're doing at Community Finance and Positive Capital is going to be so exciting. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Amabil. That that sets the stage really, really well. So you know, the picture looks like not enough rentals, not enough rentals that are affordable, not enough rentals in the right place, and a huge and uh, decade-long problem of neglect. That's okay. Um, I was just saying that, um, yes, we've seen lots of progress. And really, the progress has been around the structural solutions for how do we increase more supply? How do we get some of those conversation around infrastructure and those more technocratic solutions? But when it comes to making sure that we have a sustained supply of affordable, secure housing for our poor and vulnerable, the answer is not yet and not enough. Thank you. That's great. I'm going to bring in uh, Hope uh, Simonson now. So, so uh, uh, a warm welcome to, to you, Hope. Hope is the National Housing Manager at Emerge Aotearoa, which provides long-term social housing and tenancy and property management services for transitional housing for whānau and individuals from Whangarei to Invercargill. Hope uh, not only works uh, at the grassroots on, on housing, she has an important role 
in uh, communications and advocacy and hope uh, a very warm welcome. We're really glad you could uh, you could join us. Thank you for the invitation to be involved um, in tonight's webinar, Barry, and thank you for the introduction. I'm going to talk a bit about the uh, role that the community housing sector has as part of the solution to Aotearoa's housing crisis, so building on Shama Beale's um, rather bleak picture. Um, so firstly, just to add a little bit more to who we are as an organisation, Emerge Aotearoa is quite a diverse and large organisation, and through multiple entities we provide health and disability services, social services and housing. We have a team of over 1,200 staff, and as Barry indicated, we provide services across most of Aotearoa, and this year alone we've provided services to over 14,000 whānau and individuals. We have strong values that are embedded within the organisation and we're guided by three strategic PO that keep us focused on equity, our responsibilities under Te Tiriti, to Māori, to Pacific people and to ensuring that we value diversity and privilege lived experience. Housing is a smaller but growing part of what we do. Emerge Aotearoa Housing Trust provides social and affordable rental housing. And we have a portfolio of around 250 owned and leased units with a pipeline of 300 that we're working on delivering over the next two to three years. We're also a registered community housing provider. Aotearoa currently has around 62 registered community housing providers on the register most of which are not-for-profit organisations and includes organisations that have been around for over 40 years, some longer, um, and those that are relatively new. Some have their origins as faith-based organisations, such as the Salvation Army, Vision West, Monte Cecilia Housing Trust, and others like Emerge have health origins. Then there's a handful with a history of just being sole housing providers. All providers are driven to invest in good quality, affordable housing for New Zealanders. The sector is made up of a mix of local, regional and national organisations and they're governed by boards made up of community representatives who bring skills and expertise to the table, often as a way of giving back to their communities. We're really guided by two pieces of legislation. The first, the Public and Community Housing Management Regulations of 2014. And this legislation set out the performance standards and regulations for community housing providers. And the second big piece of legislation was the Social Housing Reform Act of 2013. The key objective of this reform for the sector was to facilitate growth through extending the income-related rent subsidy to registered community housing providers and their tenants. This was previously just provided to Kainga Order. We also, of course, work within the Residential Tenancies Act, the Building Act and the Privacy Act. We have our own regulatory um, authority, our own regulatory unit. So Community Housing Regulatory Authority is a distinct unit within the Ministry of Housing and Urban Development and we're assessed annually against these regulations, against um, these performance standards. The sector as a whole owns and manages about 16,400 homes across the housing continuum, including social housing, affordable rental housing and progressive home ownership. And collectively, we have a pipeline of around 584 new social housing places, which will be delivered this financial year. But as you've indicated, Shamabel, we can do more. By international standards, the community housing sector in New Zealand is very small. Um, the majority of social and affordable housing provided in places like the UK and Australia are provided through community housing organisations. 
Um, and they've had many years of investment by local and central governments, including things like stock transfers, capital funding, and rental subsidies. Some of the points of difference for the sector, uh, we're not for profit, which means that any surpluses we generate are reinvested in more housing. We have our origins in the community. We're often closer to the people we serve. Um, and I'd like to think that we're more agile, we're more responsive, um, and we're apolitical. Community housing providers are really good at working in partnership. We've had to have been over the years. In fact, it's critical to our success. Developers, builders, investors, and the government all form part of the team that's involved in getting houses on the ground and making a difference to people's lives. There's plenty of information out there about um, how wellbeing outcomes are linked to good quality housing, particularly physical health, but also mental health. Um, and that's actually one of the reasons why Emerge Aotearoa Housing Trust exists. Conversely, we know that poor quality, insecure housing negatively affects people's lives. It impacts on health, wealth, and the ability for people to thrive in their own communities. There are some key challenges for the sector. Capability and the stop-start nature of funding has constrained the ability for the sector to in invest in infrastructure and to scale up. Um, the sector's also suffered from a lack of capital um, and we've had um, limited uh, funds available by traditional banks and banking requirements. Um, and we've been subject to fluctuating government policies, which has affected our funding. We do need alternative options and we're thrilled to be having these types of conversations. And we're really excited to see that there's some real progress happening. Kia ora. Kia ora, thanks. Thanks, Hope. That's, that's great. Can you elaborate a little bit more? when you talk about the, the health benefits and the mental health benefits and the social benefits that come from, from the services that community housing providers are able to provide? Because it goes beyond just a, a place to live, right? Yeah, so it's, it's about, um, well, the, the first thing is making sure that the actual bricks and mortar are meeting the needs of families. So, and, you know, is the family um, in a warm, safe, dry, healthy home? Um, is the family overcrowded? Are they, you know, is 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 the household there? Um, you know, are their needs being met at a, on a physical basis? But it is also about connecting that family to the right types of supports that they need. And the community sector is really good at that. The community housing sector is really good at making sure that people are connected into the proper health services. They're connected into to really good other support services when they're needed as well. We're closer to our tenants. Great. Thank you, Hope. And we'll come back to each of these issues uh, later on. But let me bring in uh, James. Um, James, uh, James Palmer uh, is uh, the chief executive and founder of Community Finance and also Positive Capital. James was previously chief executive of Christian Savings, Aotearoa's only charity that's also a licensed non-bank deposit taker and they manage over $250 million. So I've now had the great pleasure of, of knowing James for, for some time, and he appeared, uh, his colleague uh, appeared on, on uh, a seminar a year ago that we did. I've been hugely impressed with the work of community finance, and uh, James, it's fantastic that you've been able to join us and uh, that you can talk some more about the good things that community finance has been doing. So over to you. Thanks, Barry, and kia ora, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here tonight, and um, we really value the work of Mindful Money in, in showcasing what responsible and impact investing can mean. 
So uh, as Barry said, I'm Chief Executive of Community Finance and Positive Capital. So for us, you know, you've heard, uh, as, as it was described, the pretty bleak outlook from Shamabile about decades of underinvestment in affordable housing and the struggles so many whānau are facing throughout the country where house prices go up, rents go up, but our wages haven't matched. But we're also in a time where there is more money than ever in the country. So more need, more money. But we also have proven solutions, and that's where it was amazing to hear from Hope. Uh, Emerge Aotearoa is an extraordinary organisation, and it's one of many that are operating throughout the country that have decades of experience that provide uh, warm, dry and affordable homes to communities. And what we need is more homes managed by these providers. So community finance is an impact investment platform. And what we do is work to create the way to finance these solutions, the new homes for the likes of Emerge Aotearoa or Salvation Army, and be a bridge to the fact that we've got funds under management greater than we've had ever before. And KiwiSaver providers like what you'll hear from shortly with Generate, who have that money and who are wanting to get solid returns for their investors, but also achieve a great social outcome. So just to put again back to the, the I guess, crisis in front of us, as Shamabil has, has shown, we've never had more on the housing register. It's an increase of 19,000 over the last three years. And in fact, if you look at the rental market throughout Aotearoa, we're actually seeing now 70% of all rental homes receiving some form of government subsidy. So the most being for the emergency and transitional housing uh, that we've heard about earlier tonight, but also right up to the accommodation supplement where key workers, teachers, uh, people who are employed are having to get support from the government because they can't earn enough to keep up with rental price increases. So that's where we want to come in because as we've heard from Hope, we have some extraordinary community housing providers, but actually just over 10,000 of those which are actually owned by the community housing sector. So what you're seeing in front of you is the housing continuum, and this is showing the number of houses throughout the whole country. So we can see the owner-occupied segment operates well, but 16,000 managed, but only 10,000 owned by the community housing sector. We wouldn't have 25,000 on the waiting list if we had double this number. So our mission is really how do we finance and secure the supply, and as Shamabil said, the supply of affordable rentals. Now, the answer is we have $248 billion under management already in the country. So we've never had more. We're also seeing the extraordinary growth of KiwiSaver. And in the, I guess, extraordinary time of need, it's great to see um, a government policy and, and a way for us as everyday Kiwis to save, uh, to work with someone like a Generate to build up something for our retirement. And we're now seeing that market mature to the point where it actually has a sizable amount under management. 86 billion. And that means it can start looking for and now is looking for ways where it can generate the returns for its members, but also use that money to invest in our country and actually uh, things like community bonds that we issue that directly get that money into new social and affordable housing. And what does that actually look like? Well, for us, the first program we did uh, was last year. Uh, we partnered with the Salvation Army. Uh, as Hope said, you know, some have been operating for decades. The Salvation Army have been operating for over 100 years in our country, providing housing for those most in need. 
And last year, um, they started this program where they built 118 new social housing units in Auckland. Uh, they're now about to build more down the country, which is exciting. And they required $40 million of finance these new homes. So we went out to the market and the cornerstone impact investor in this bond program was Generate KiwiSaver Scheme. And so that $20 million investment was pivotal in securing this finance for these homes. And what's exciting about this is a number of key aspects. So as you can see, you know, these are gorgeous homes. They're as thermally efficient as about you get in the country. They've got what's called SIPS panels. Um, there's community uh, amenities right on site as part of the development, uh, places for kids to play. And it's a place where it's extraordinary when you actually do a tour, seeing you know how warm and efficient they are, especially compared to most houses that uh, we're probably all living in watching this. So what we've seen is we can build houses that are affordable, uh, that suit a community, that belong, that house people, give people a future that are affordable. But we must give uh, the likes of an Emerge or a Salvation Army the tools to finance these new builds. And the power about community finance is that we act in the middle. We operate on a low margin. And so what that means is that we can lower the interest rate for the likes of the community housing provider, but also maximize the interest rate for the investor like Generate KiwiSaver Scheme. So this is really creating that win-win you were talking about, Barry, where we actually can have good returns for investors and a great outcome for people with huge need. Uh, on the back of last year, we actually launched what we called the Aotearoa Pledge, and we're really on a mission to mainstream impact investing. And it's been an area, a bit like housing, where our country's behind the eight ball, uh, which is disappointing, but it's something that we're really wanting to work with others uh, to fix. So we require a lot of money to scale up this need. And so this is where we went out to a range of different um, banks, fund managers and others and said, who wants to get involved in buying bonds which deliver a market return, but will also be part of delivering more and more community housing throughout the country. And so, you know, really glad to see Generate once again stepping up and leading in the space. Uh, but you can see from this page, you know, a range of other foundations and philanthropic groups as well, starting to say, let's use our capital to do good, not just grants, um, and also ANZ Bank. So you can see, you know, three KiwiSaver providers already, and this list is growing. So hopefully we're giving a bit of a, a, a positive message here. Yes, we face a crisis that we're not yet solving. Uh, government's really stepping up and building more public housing, which as Shamabil said, it's, it's exciting and it's timely, but we are playing catch up. So we need to on scale mobilize the investor base and work with the community housing sector. And we're here to stay and show them that the capital is here so that we can meet this need. Thank you. Thank you, James. That was uh, that was really interesting. Can you? Uh, I love that continuum slide you have showing you know where rental housing yeah. is provided from, and the the challenge of of significantly building the the community housing providing um, from a base of as you say around ten thousand to try and double that. Um, so what what do you see as being the the, the gaps in in making that happen from the finance side? 
Yeah, so um, what's really powerful is the government funds this. So that's where they're supporting the rental payments because we know that poverty is the absence of wealth. So these are whānau that can't afford market rents and so the government provides that support to the community housing provider. The gap has been given the fact that government's providing that funding, they should be able to access uh, significant amounts of finance and it should be at a lower cost that enables them to build more. So that's where we come in to uh, securitize the fact that we've got houses we can take a mortgage over, we've got the long-term government funding, and so we can then bring in the KiwiSaver providers money on scale so that we can build more houses. Um, there's also been an equity issue here, so that's uh, a lot of people will resonate with this. When you're trying to save for your own first home, it's quite hard getting that first deposit. So what we're working on is making sure there is money coming in from the private sector, from KiwiSaver providers to provide both equity and finance so that we can significantly scale this up. And we need to talk about actually supporting the billions of dollars. Uh, and that's why in our first two years, we're already at over 90 million of loans for community finance. And this is just the beginning. Fantastic. So I hope uh, we get a chance to hear more about the equity side of the equation as well. So let me bring in Sam Goldwater. Um, Sam, uh, welcome to you. Um, it's very and and uh, in, in fact, welcome welcome back. Uh, <laughs> we enjoyed the last session uh, a year ago. So Sam is is co-founder and executive director of Generate KiwiSaver. Uh, Sam's had over twenty years of financial markets experience, including fixed income sales and trading for the National Bank of New Zealand Treasury. Uh, Co-manager of bonds at First New Zealand Capital and has had uh, some years of experience in London. Um, as an organisation, Generate KiwiSaver is doing an amazing amount of stuff at the moment, including uh, some great work on ocean conservation and, uh, uh, and increasingly on responsible investment. And uh, a very warm welcome to, to you, Sam. Thanks very much, Barry. So um, <clears throat> would you like me to sort of share some, some thoughts on um, you know, how we're sort of seeing them, uh, the, the social housing yeah, environment? Yeah. Get, picking, picking up from James's question around yep. uh, sort of how, how, we, how we manage to mobilise the finance for this, it'd be great to hear from you how, how this works as a KiwiSaver provider, how you can meet your competing needs to provide good returns, stable returns, long-term uh, savings for people. Sure. Cool. Yeah, well, first up, I'd just like to echo James's comments around the great work that Barry and the team at Mindful Money are doing. I can say firsthand that Mindful Money is having a meaningfully positive effect on the KiwiSaver industry. So a little over a year ago, Generate became the first KiwiSaver provider to invest in social housing via uh, the Salvation Army bond uh, that was brought to market by community finance. Uh, as James mentioned, the bond enabled the Salvation Army to finance the development of 118 warm and dry houses for Kiwis without a home. A year on, and it feels like things have come quite a long way. Community Finance has issued more community bonds and is coming up with new and innovative products. Other KiwiSaver providers have made their initial forays into social housing. The government seems to be providing better support to community housing providers. And there are other intermediaries at work locally looking to facilitate more social housing investment. 
The other key enabling factor, of course, is KiwiSaver members. More and more members want to see their money helping to make the world a better place. And why wouldn't they? Generates members' experience with impact investing has been a great one thus far, not just from an impact perspective, but also some of the returns received. For example, we were one of the few local fund managers that had a material shareholding in Tilt Renewables, a developer and owner of renewable energy projects in Australasia. Tilt was bought by Mercury Energy and an Australian consortium at a price that was almost four times the price that we initially bought in at. So that was a real win for our members. From, from where I'm sitting, it feels like the planets are starting to align and, and we will continue to see more of KiwiSaver's huge reservoir of capital channeled towards social housing. Only a tiny fraction of KiwiSaver's 86 billion in funds under management has gone into social housing to date, but the opportunity is ripe for this to ramp up in the months and years ahead. Uh, back to you, Barry. Sorry, Sam. Can you carry on and talk a little bit more about how, how this fits in with your overall strategies as, as a KiwiSaver provider? To what extent are you, are you able to invest in these kind of off-market, these non-listed assets? Are there, are there kind of limitations on how far this can go in, in your portfolio? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there has to be a limit on on um, this type of investment because we have to offer a diversified portfolio to our members. But I guess if we look at it from more of an industry perspective, you know, if, if every KiwiSaver provider allocated five percent of their schemes funds under management um, into social housing, for example, you know, then you're talking almost five billion dollars uh, in, in capital that, that would be available, which would um, you know, Go a long way to to um, uh, to uh, solving solving the problem. So um, yeah, uh, so yeah, there's certainly more scope. You know, we're we're looking at more opportunities. You know, uh, potentially, do we take equity investments or we'll make equity investments into, into social housing? To date, it's only been uh, fixed interest investments, uh, but that's something you know that we're um, we're uh, talking to James about. You know, with his um, you know, innovative. Um, new new products uh, that, that he's uh, currently looking to bring to market, and and um, yeah, that's uh, sort of looking looking quite exciting. Great, uh, James. Can we come back to you on that? Uh, Sam Sam saying, if we manage to mobilise the KiwiSaver providers, you know, the, there could be billions of dollars at at stake here. What's the scale of what you're looking for in terms of mainstream finance, for example, in order to scale up community housing providers at the rate that they can possibly scale up, which is obviously limited? Yeah, um, very good question. I mean, I think, you know, most of us would say, let's not have people on a housing register. You know, let's have individuals and, and now in a warm, affordable home. Um, a, we should care because we have compassion and empathy for our country. But commercially, it's better for all of us if we have people that, as Hope was saying, are in stable homes with kids in a stable place where they can go to one school, not seven. Um, I mean, the social benefits and economic benefits are significant. With government providing the long-term funding, we, we've, we've really missed a beat, but I think we're playing catch-up. And that's the message of Hope here. 
Um, the, the reality is that with the government support, and, there's, and it continues to be significant here to help these rents become affordable for people, but also to provide that long-term stable funding for the community housing providers, what we can do is actually bring in the equity and finance to make this happen. So on the community finance side, we will continue to scale up. When you talk about something like, Sam, you know, five billion, you know, it's significant on, on the current pricing of, of what we're seeing in the market for community housing. You know, one billion is around 1,700 homes. So if you're looking at five billion just on this current one, we're going to be talking over 30% of that need met just through this. And that's that's massive when we, we've seen the housing register only doing this over recent times. Imagine it doing this and seeing our wealth and KiwiSaver funds going up. You know, everyone's winning. Um, from our point of view, we're also launching Positive Capital. Uh, there'll be a big announcement next week, so, so watch the space. Uh, but for us, what, what we see as an opportunity is imagine bringing in both the equity and providing a shared equity program so that, you know, whether it's an eMERGE or um, other community housing providers can go out and instead of uh, having to lease as many homes, we want to see them meet the needs today, which as we said, is significant, but because they're charities that, as Hope said, have these values that are going to be here for generations to come, we need to meet beat this housing crisis and we also need to make sure we stop the next one because we humans have a tend to repeat history. So what we would love to see is these charities that are committed to affordable housing have hundreds of millions worth of houses that they control because they do such a great job that is there for perpetuity to serve our communities. And with the government support, it is a fantastic investment for the KiwiSaver and fund managers too. A win-win. Great. Hope, can you can you sort of help us with, is, is it, just the finances required? What's the blend of, of debt or equity that's needed? What what uh, what else is needed to, to build the capacity of the community housing sector in order to be able to meet this this emergency need? That's that's a that's a really good question. And look, I think it's both. You know, I think with um, with equity we are able to take those dollars and stretch it further. Um, where we sort of, you know, in, in a sort of shared equity type environment. Um, with straight debt, we're not. <laughs> we're bound by the conditions of that debt. Um, the thing that would limit us the most in this space is, is government funding for social housing and the number of places that they're willing to fund at any, at any one time. So that's the real um, constraint in, in the mix here. Um, and then the other thing we also need to think about is that other part of the market whose needs aren't being met in that affordable rental space. So what's happening with our 450,000 stressed renters, as you know, in, in Shamabil's language, <laughs> um, is that they're, they're, they're so stressed that they're actually building that 25,000 list. So they're the ones that we need to be sort of stopping and helping. Um, and they may need less support. They may need, you know, if we're actually getting in there early, we need different products, we need different types of, of, um, of things to be able to stop them from, from falling out of housing as well. So both debt and equity and ongoing government subsidies required. We just need to get a little bit smarter with it, I think, too. So, Shamabil, we're, we're getting questions in, uh, coming in about the interaction between home ownership and what we're talking about in terms of, of rental properties. So can you talk us through what the changes in home ownership are meaning in in 
the, the kind of scale of the problem that we have on, on affordable rentals? Yeah, look, I mean, homeownership in New Zealand has been falling since a peak in 91, right? So this is not a new thing for New Zealand. So New Zealand's got a very proud history. After the Second World War, we had all the right policies in place to get people into their own homes. And then we took them away in the reforms of the 1980s with a lot of other things. And now we're saying we want people to own homes, but when your average house price is a million bucks, it's actually mm -hmm. really hard. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to break it down and go first, let's make sure we've got places that are secure for people, both in terms of not getting kicked out and secure in terms of the money that they have to mm -hmm. spend at this time. So when we talk about the, you know, the getting the home ownership thing, it as an idea, I think it's great. But in terms of practicality, I don't think it's possible in the next decade to actually improve it with any significant scale. So I think we should really focus on making sure that that need at the very bottom of the scale <clears throat> is met. But second, the real urgent need here is for us to build at scale rentals that become affordable over time. They need to be secure. They need to be absolutely secure in terms of um, tenure, but also the increase in rents that we see over time. Um, I'm looking at Sam in the screen because, you know, if I told you that I could give you a bond that gives you 3% today and grows at 2% for 10 years, you'd love it. And with BTR, that's exactly what we can do. And yet we have uh, no build to rent, no at scale rental investment in New Zealand. So there are, I think there are, when we talk about homeownership, I think the idea is almost, it's a bit late for that. Let's chunk it down and focus on what we need to do in the next decade, which is better rentals. And, and Sam, uh, let's, let's hear your response, not only perhaps from, from the KiwiSaver side, but also other pools of capital that exist in the, in the finance sector. As, as James said, KiwiSaver's in there at $86 billion, but there's a whole lot of other funding out there as well that is looking for, for a good investment home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's absolutely no reason why this this money shouldn't be finding its way into this sector, you know, at least uh, at least um, you know a, a reasonable portion of it. Uh, you know, the, the returns are, um, are competitive. You know, they they have to be for KiwiSaver and, and, and non KiwiSaver fund managers to invest in, in, in these investments. You know, that need, it needs to earn a commercial return. Uh, but you're also getting that positive impact. So, so what, you know, why why wouldn't um, money managers look at it? Just because you know it's it's um, it's a it's a young sector. Um, there's is no reason to um, you know, to to um, not uh, get involved. Uh, cool. Thank you. And and James, in terms of of uh, the situation for investment funds, it's a little bit different, is it? To uh, between loans and equity around uh, liquidity and and how long the money is tied up for and and uh, the ability to be able to to exit. So so without sort of pre pre announcing your your announcement for next week, can you talk a little bit about the equities, a bit more about the equity side from the perspective of oh, that investment? Yeah, I, I think the anchor for all of us because. What we're wanting to do here is, as I said, create that win-win. So one of the key areas where community housing, I think, is so compelling and why we can scale this up is you have that long-term government funding. And it's on the back of that that provides that lower risk, which makes the return work. What we need is that scale, not just to help uh, finance more houses, but scale is important in the finance world to create what's known as the secondary market. 
as well. So one of the big priorities for us is as we grow this as a sector for impact investing, its growth will mean there's more and more people that are wanting to buy them when we issue them, but also those that if they want to can trade them. With equity, what we're bringing out is the ability for a community housing provider to say, if I was going to do 500 this year, as Hope said, that's not enough. So it's amazing. And that's 500 households that have their life transformed. But it's hard to celebrate that, isn't it, in, in, in a sort of overview of 24,500 on the waiting list. So the equity product is designed to say, well, if you were going to do 500, how do we do 5,000? So if you were going to put in 10%, what if we were able to bring in the other 90%? So bring in some through debt still and bring in equity as well. Um, as Sam was showing before, you know, ultimately we're wanting to get a return, but a fund manager is looking for different diversity. And so there's, you know, we'll see, and you can see from the Mindful Money site, you know, there's a conservative fund, there's balance, there's growth. Uh, there's only so much money available for fixed interest. And there's other money that's looking for a higher return and to be in the equity side. So equity, you know, obviously is one where you have ownership of something, so like a share. So what we're looking to bring out is the ability for co-ownership here with a community housing provider with the long-term ability for that community housing provider to eventually own 100% of it. So it's there for the community good forever, but it gives investors the chance to have a higher return and to get the ability to get a capital growth in that share too. Because with a fixed interest product, like a bond or a term deposit, you know the amount you're going to get, which might be three or 4%, but it doesn't mean it grows uh, necessarily. And so what we're saying is how can we be intelligent to give you know, investors what they want uh, with the returns and risk profile they need, while actually, guess what? That happens to be exactly what the community housing providers need to scale up far more than they have before. Um, yeah, it's one plus one equals 10. It's nice. Cool. Uh, we're going to uh, finish soon. So if anyone's got a burning question out there, please add it to the uh, questions in the uh, uh, that have been asked. Hope, I just wanted to, just as we... Uh, we wind down to, to finish soon. I wanted to, to just come back to you and, and just kind of say, again, can, can you talk a bit about, about uh, how this problem of uh, sort of the, the growing desperation of people who just cannot afford rentals, how it's playing out as, as you see it? Uh, in some of the examples of Emerge Aotearoa's work? Mm, look, it's, it's particularly um, visible in the transitional and emergency housing space, Barry. Um, so we've got families that are coming through transitional and emergency housing who have never been in that position before. You know, th these are families who have rented privately, um, held down jobs, done really well, and then suddenly their rent has been pushed up to a level that's just been completely unsustainable. So they find themselves homeless. And then they, they're in and they're cycling through transitional housing. And if they're lucky, they'll get a, a public housing place. Um, or they try again in the private rental market. Um, and, and, you know, we, we thought that the housing crisis might be something that might be short, that we might get through it. Um, four years later, Emerge Aotearoa is still providing transitional housing. Um, and it just seems to be the sort of never-ending group of people who are coming through at that end. So it's really playing out um, quite visibly and noticeably in the transitional housing space. And and Shamabil, I'll, I'll give you the last word on the on the seminar. You've obviously been deeply involved in the, in this area of work. Can you tell us what what 
brought you into this world and, and why this particular work has been important to you? Well, I think it's the idea that a home is a place of safety. It's a place of shelter. And yet we have financialized it and we've made it insecure and we've made it, I think, something very difficult. And yet I think our all my work has shown that in our history in New Zealand, we've been able to do much better. And I think it behoves all of us to do what we can to make sure we go back to something where housing is really a home and it's not just something that makes you money or something that we trade. So that's what motivates us. And certainly working with James and others, that's really what drives us. We want to make sure that housing is a place that gives people security. Fantastic. That's a, that's a, a great note to end on. And, and thank you all very much. It's been, been a really enjoyable discussion. I, uh, I love the, the, the sort of the ecosystem of how uh, people are brought together to, to work on problems like this and contribute from different perspectives. So, so uh, uh, congratulations to all of you for your, for your great work. Um, for those uh, who are listening to watching this, this seminar, um, it is on a podcast as well as uh, on, on video. Uh, thanks very much for, for joining us. Um, thanks also to our sponsors for, for the series, AMP, Booster, Generate KiwiSaver and Harbour Asset Management. Um, so next week, um, I saw in the, uh, in the questions that came through is, is what other things can impact investment be used for apart from social housing uh, in KiwiSaver or other investment vehicles? So next week, we're going to talk about more examples of this. We're, we're joined by Harbour Asset Management. We're joined by uh, Akina Foundation and a new uh, impact fund, uh, very much working at the grassroots level. So please join us 7.30 next Wednesday. Uh, and uh, um, please, uh, where you get a chance to support, uh, support the great organisations, uh, that work on community housing and uh, and whatever your role is, uh, please provide support where you can. So, Namhi Nui Kia Kakite Ano. Good evening. Thanks for joining us.